I was affected by it. You were affected by it. We were all affected by the Equifax breach in September 2017. The truly interesting thing about it is Equifax wasn't the only company hit by Struts 2 vulnerability that day. Many other companies were hit by it within the same time period, but Equifax became the poster child for the mainstream media. It was just too easy of a target because of consumer visibility. In the two years since the breach, Equifax has been working hard to restore its reputation, not just with consumer protection, but with the companies that depend upon credit data to make real business choices. I wanted to find out what Equifax is doing behind the scenes, not just reputation-wise, but technology-wise when it comes to protecting data. Was it status quo as soon as the buzz died down? Did they pay their fine and go back to business as usual? Or were they making changes under the hood that will make a difference in how financial data is handled and what can be done with it? I met with Sean Davis, Chief Transformation Evangelist at Equifax, while at Jenkins World in August. It had been two years since the breach, and I wanted to hear what was happening internally, what changes have been made, and why we should begin to trust Equifax again. I have to say, I was surprised. When I sat down with Sean, I thought there would be hesitancy, some caution as to what could and couldn't be talked about. To my surprise, it was a transparent discussion. I asked him questions I wanted to know as a consumer, as well as the technical queries about what was going on under the hood at Equifax, what changes have been made to make my data more secure. Is it time to trust Equifax again? I'll let you decide. This is the DevSecOps Podcast. The DevSecOps Podcast is supported by OWASP, organizers of the Global AppSec Conference in Amsterdam on September 23rd through the 27th. And by All Day DevOps, the world's largest DevOps conference. All live, all online, all free. All Day DevOps. I'm Sean Davis. I'm a Chief Transformation Evangelist for Equifax. I work for David Stevens on the technical architecture team and facilitate the digital transformation. Chief transformation. I mean, that's huge. It is. It is. They've put a lot of confidence in me to, to help drive a lot of cultural change within the organization and help them with the things that work and they don't. My primary job is just to focus on two things. One, to be a cultural flywheel. So when I find opportunity where we can make large impacts very quickly and start empowering others to be able to spread that out, right? mm -hmm. creating other evangelists, you know, those are real big primary areas for focus for me. And the second is being a human highlighter. So a big part of my job is really focusing on understanding what our business is doing and how it aligns to the purpose of helping everyone live their financial best. Right? You know, my title at Sonotype is Senior Storyteller. I think Human Highlighter I would be a, yes. a wonderful title for you on your page. Yeah, I, actually, that might be good. Maybe I'll go talk to David about changing it. I'm not a big fan of titles because titles are free, so right. it doesn't really matter what it is. It matters what we do with it. Right. right, and empowering people is at the center of everything that I want to do. Right, like 
being that voice for you and bringing that back into our business and sharing these renaissance moments that we have around the things that we learn Mm -hmm. from the impacts of our services directly from our customer and consumers mouths but also being an advocate for the people inside of our business to find that connection so that they understand when I come to work every day I'm not just slinging code I'm actually doing something that's going to touch hundreds of millions of people's lives each and every day the interesting thing about transformation as you're seeing it most people think of cultural transformation as an internal process to make the internal culture of in your case Equifax change it sounds like you're talking about external transformation too Absolutely. So transformation is kind of the ignition point or the catalyst for evolution. Right? We're going through that transformational phase and that looks like you know it's going to last us through about 2020 and we're going to start realizing a lot of that value that we've already started to see. You're saying we, you're talking about Equifax? Yes, as, okay. as Equifax, yes. And uh, what's interesting is after that it doesn't stop. Right? Transformation is like going from the caterpillar to the butterfly. But once you're a butterfly, you've never lived that life, right? They've had to crawl from leaf to leaf to do what they do every single day. We're a data and analytics company. We're a technology company. We're not a business services company anymore. We're really focused on data enrichment and helping provide context, right? You're just not, you're not a number to us. We want to be able to provide who you are, how you are, how you view and how you manage your finances and your life and give you more power around that. I, you know, you set up an argument here, though. If when you have 300 million clients, how can I not be a number? So very interesting, right? So uh, there's people that believe the more people involved, the more the data becomes normalized. We're actually interested in the more people that become involved, the more uniqueness we can provide, right? So, for example... Um, with our data fabric services that we're building right now, which is the core of our business. In the past, we've had one-off applications with each and every one of our customers, which are the Bank of Americas, the Capital Ones, the Credit Karmas, right? And those have kind of helped transfer data between purpose and process with our clouds. But the problem was, was that everyone was like their own exception. So when we built the data fabric, we said, hey, we want to take a new approach to how we provide services for our market. We want to understand the needs of all consumers, not the unique needs of each and every person and build one-offs, but build all of those unique needs into a singular platform. So that how you do business today, if you learn that there's other opportunities to do business differently, you'll be able to explore that. As we tell our employees, right, we want to invest so much in you that you don't have the capabilities to reinvest in us as much. And the point about that is really saying, hey, you know, when you go to work for a job, right, you're paid to exchange your time and your services for the money that the the company pays you, right? And what it does is it puts a lot of people in this position where they say, hey, I have to go here and I have to do this because I'm obligated because they're paying me money, right? So now I feel at the I'm at the whim of the company that I work for. We want to change that narrative in the same way with our customer base, consumer base. We want to change the narrative where it's like we're going to provide so much opportunity. We're going to provide so many possibilities that you're really going to be more focused on how I can utilize the opportunity that's being provided versus feeling what do I need to do to be obligated to be paid or to do business with you. As a consumer, I I don't think of Equifax in that way. Mm, well, that's why we're changing that, right? <laughs> we're, we're really, like I said, you, the things that are happening, and I'm starting to see more momentum and inertia in the market, you're gonna cha- it's going to change the way that you look at us and what we do for right. the public in general. 
previously to the big event that happened mm -hmm. with Equifax, previously, you never thought of Equifax. You never interacted with Equifax because it was just one of the big three, and if you needed to borrow a house, you knew you were going to get hit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So what a major shift you guys are trying to do. I, I didn't know about the consumer aspect that you had. Yeah, so, and, and it starts with, if you're familiar with value streams, mm -hmm. right? Most businesses, their value stream, and prior to the event, we were really focused on how do we deliver products to our customers in the way that every business is focused on how do I deliver a product, and that's where the value stream really ended. And it's where it ends for a lot of companies even today. Well, we've really taken that, that thought and turned it on its head. And now our value chain is extended into our customers. And it ends with the delivery of services of our customers to their customers, which are you, the consumer. Mm -hmm. right? So now the Capital One's the So the services. consumer is not your customer. So the consumers and the customers are our customers, right? You can get identity management and credit monitoring directly through Equifax. Mm -hmm. right? And that's a consumer direct or a customer direct product. Right, our consumers may be the banks, and they're the ones giving you the loans, but we also can do credit monitoring direct to you. You don't have to go okay. through a bank in order to get that service. We're headed in the direction that everybody wants to hear about. Absolutely. And that is um, the event, what was it, 2017? Yes. That um, everybody calls it a breach. You call it an event. I mean, we can use the word. <laughs> but one of the things that you and I talk about and have talked about before is Equifax wasn't the only company to get hit that day. Absolutely. You guys absolutely. were the whipping boy because you were the biggest. Yes. That's generally how it works is the, <laughs> the biggest elephant in the room gets right. noticed, right? Um, it, it's interesting, too, because as I talk to a lot of people, you know, it almost feels like a us versus them conversation. That's you right. know, like That's right. the breach happened and it happened to everyone in the general public, but didn't happen to anyone Equifax. I mean, you take a look at my watch, the background on it is the Equifax settlement site where, yes, my data was breached. And I put it as a watch background so it reminds me each and every time I look at wow. a calendar at a time or whatever, yeah. that my dedication is to each and every person that feels like the, that trust was lost with this event. For, uh, for those listening in, Sean just showed me his smartwatch, and it is the background of his smartwatch is your status. Absolutely. We, we want people to know we were impacted by this too, and we have a personal stake in this to make it better. Trust was lost, even with myself. It was one of the reasons why I joined Equifax, mm -hmm. is because I'm very passionate about changing that narrative, offering a better level, level of service, giving us more power and control over this ecosystem that we're built into, right? So what happened that first year? You guys had to be on fire. Yeah, as with anything, right, an event occurs. It doesn't even have to be a breach or, you know, just a transformation event of some kind. There's always a catalyst mm -hmm. that spurs transformation. And um, one of the can, things... Can you repeat that, though? Because I think that's critical to this whole story. Absolutely. So there's always an event that spurs transformation in organizations. You look at any organization. Right. It's right? not like you wake up one morning and they say, you know, we're going to transform. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like baking a cake, right? You usually, I mean, it could be the CTO read Forbes magazine and says the cloud is where we're going. And then the CTO says, hey, we're going to the cloud. Your ITIL or process guys internally are like, yeah, we're going to modernize our processes. Your engineers are saying, yeah, we've got to automate and we've got to streamline things. And then there's an agile coach somewhere in the back of the room that's like, don't forget about the people. You know, well, we need well, to visualize is, the work. The CEO reads another magazine article the next week. 
Absolutely, right? So, I mean, it can happen a lot of different ways, um, but there's always some type of pattern to it. What I loved and what I really bought into with Bryson was that he's all in on this. This wasn't just a, hey, we need to repair public trust. We need to fix whatever the issue is. It's imperative that not only have we learned from what's going on, but we're building a playbook that eventually we'll share with the public. The processes, the challenges that we've had, the things that we've endured, we want to eventually be able to share that with the public to say, hey, we went through this. It was extremely painful, but here are the things that we learned and here are the partners that we've vetted it out with. I don't know if you've heard about, you know, uh, some other financial firms in the, the news recently. Right? We, we take those things very seriously. We look at that and we actually go out and we work with our partners to ensure that, hey, we felt this pain. Let us walk you through some of these challenges and some of the things that you need to expect and how you can grow from it. And it helps refine this playbook. From an emotional standpoint, if I was working in Equifax, I was with Equifax. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what was the general aura around the company? I mean, it had to be tough to show up in the morning. It is really tough. Um, it still, in some ways, is very tough. We feel the burden of the responsibility that we carry for the market, and we take it exceptionally serious. You know, it isn't just about security. It's not just about technology. It is about helping people live their financial best. It's why in over 120 years of our existence, which I believe our 120-year anniversary was in July, for the first time, given put an asterisk on this because I haven't been able to find anyone to interview in Equifax that's actually worked for them for 120 years. It's basically, you know, when Mark came to us as our new CEO, he says, we have to align to a purpose. We have to build one, and we've never had one before. So we created this purpose of helping people live their financial best so that everything that we did aligned around that. We created basically a manifesto internally that is our engineering handbook. Right? I'll give you a sticker afterwards, but it codifies everything that we're learning, everything that we believe in, the definition of everything that we do, how we're building security, how we interact with regulators, how we manage SDLC, anything and everything that we've learned from this journey so far has been codified and it is in our engineering handbook. Right? This is the lifeblood of what we do and we believe so strongly in it that we make sure that each and every person that works at Equifax, technology or otherwise, has to attest to reading and understanding this intimately so that they know what is involved in helping a customer live their financial best. It is no longer acceptable to be a generalist and just say, hey, or a specialist and say, hey, I just do finance. I'm not really worried about how technology impacts us. Or I'm in technology. I could care less of how marketing impacts us. We all impact each other, and we have to recognize those bonds. So the only way to do it is to have a central authority or record or source that says this is what we believe in, and we have to put it on paper. It's not good enough to just talk about. With culture, you have to put it on paper so people see it, they feel it, they can contribute to it. Right. Otherwise, it's just an idea floating around somewhere. So if it gives you any idea of how serious we are about these changes. I'll be right back after this word from All Day DevOps. All Day DevOps is the world's largest DevOps conference with 150 speakers and over 30,000 attendees. People like Sean Davis, who you're hearing now, will be there to tell their story, along with over 100 other practitioners, including banks, manufacturers, healthcare companies, and nine of the major OWASP projects. Our promise to you is there are no vendor pitches, 
No sales or marketing sessions, just people telling their DevOps stories. Join us on November 6th. It's all live, all online, all free, all day DevOps. Can you give us some insights and say, let's say the first three months. I don't know if we want to get that specific, but give us kind of a timeline. Where did you guys start? Once you found it was happening, where did you go with it? And when did the major transformation actually take place? Oh, day one. Day one, I believe, you know, there was a declaration of, you know, we've got to get this under control. We've got an obligation to our... But I, I would think that's the default. Hey, absolutely, yes. <laughs> but we recognized with this event that it's like, hey, a transformation has to occur, right? We can't keep doing things the same way. We can't approach them the same way. We can't solve problems so the same way. were you guys having arguments pre-breach that you just couldn't get traction with what you were trying to do, and after the breach, everybody just backed up and said, yeah. Based on my limited knowledge, right, because okay, sure. I wasn't there when the breach occurred, okay. right? Full disclosure, I've been with Equifax for around three to four months mm-hmm. now, so I've got a good grasp on where we are now and where we've come from. Okay. But I would venture to say that most businesses are the same when events occur, whatever they are. We're all having the same struggles. We're all having the same problems. That's the real truth of the matter is we all, there's something we're all missing. There's something we all have to panic about. And I imagine it was fairly chaotic because when you look in the news, man, they did not let, they did not let up at all. And it's extremely difficult in the middle of a crisis to still keep the wheels on the car while all the tires are blown out on it and somebody's still shooting at you, right? And you're like, okay, we got to change this car. Nice right? we got to change the wheels on this car while it's going down the road. It requires a great degree of discipline and introspection. And I think that's something we've done really well at is during this, while it has been very chaotic at the beginning of this journey, Bryson's done a really great job of pulling people together very quickly mm-hmm. and empowering them to do whatever. You know, I've never met a leader that I've spoken to that says, hey, any idea you shoot for the next galaxy over, maybe even one we haven't seen with a telescope, and I'll help you do whatever it's going to take as long as it aligns to our purpose and it's part of supporting our transformation. If somebody is concerned about their company, where would you tell them to start looking first? What would you have somebody do? Look inward. Right? Some of the, the greatest problems that are generated um, that cause challenges for organizations come from within the organization, not without. Now, granted, we're not talking just technology, but we're saying, look at your people. Look at your culture. Do you communicate and collaborate? If you look at all of the biggest breaches, they do have technical components, But if things would have communicated differently, if they would have been codified differently, if they would have been managed differently, those things probably wouldn't happen. I I have to argue, though, that great, you know, the culture, the inner workings of people together, that's still not going to identify that you have a stretch to in your application that's vulnerable. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so... um, Building on what I just said, um, building a stronger culture builds stronger discipline and engineering techniques. Uh, Has that happened in the last year and a half? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have come worlds from where we were before. And not just culture-wise, when we talk about things like Spotify model, or you talk about um, how your teams are built or stacked, or even the technologies that we use, but just 
the proliferation of knowledge. We have built an entire training program around the needs of our employees and what they're saying, hey, this is what I need to be marketable and viable. We're investing heavily in, as well as ensuring that each and every one of our staff members in technology and eventually the entire company will be certified. How did your software supply chain change? We, we took a really strong look at not only with just security, because obviously in most organizations we have a technology and a security BU, and they may be managed by different people who have different ideas of what the goal is or their value. So we looked at where we could kind of synergize between and really started a strong DevSecOps program. You so did. that we could, Yeah, absolutely. So we have a VP of DevSecOps, uh, Rajan Gupta, um, he helps lead, and we're working together currently on building a solid SDLC. Uh, we've noticed that there are some gaps around, you know, sprawl within the organization. So, you know, when documentation is really great in the idea of what we think that it should look like, even if it's just Markdown, but when you have things like Confluence, SharePoint, you know, wikis or whatever, the greater amount of products that you have, the more sprawl that's created. Eventually, it gets to a point where people don't even want to spend the time to actually go hunt down where the documentation should be. So we've taken an approach of it should be developers or first-class citizens within the organization, and we really cater to making sure that we empower them to deliver and have everything at their fingertips. So we've merged our SDLC process, our documentation and everything. It's in our code repositories. We've merged our Visio diagrams and a lot of these other things. We're moving them into our code repositories so that when you want to interact with a product or a capability, it's all in one place. You don't have to go to Confluence for the docs. You don't have to go to Bitbucket for the source code. You don't have to go somewhere else for the other pieces. The definitions, the builds, the releases, the code, the entire supply chain lives in source control so that we can monitor and manage it with DevOps techniques and processes the same way that we do our code now. You know, when Shannon Leach wrote the DevSecOps Manifesto, one of the things that she was adamant about is everyone is responsible for security. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, a core tenet of what we're doing. So if you didn't know, I, I'm an actual instructor for DOI and ITSM oh. Academy, and right. I helped co-author a lot of the content in the DevSecOps engineering course, and it focuses on what DevSecOps practitioners should do, less about the specific technology alignments. And so, that's our that's kind of our core belief. Great. So from a, a security professionals, when I go and I speak at RSA I, a couple times a year in, in San Francisco and in Singapore, it is a ninety percent security audience. And they're always looking, how do I fit in to this process? I used to be the guy that was just a gatekeeper. I, yes. I can't be a gatekeeper anymore. No, you have to shift them left in the process. And the only way you're going to do that is get them out of their chair, get them out of their org, and start bedding them with the teams. Start introducing them and having dialogues with your architecture teams, with your product managers, product owners, with your developers, with your SREs, with everyone else that's involved in the chain itself from the very beginning. You would be surprised at how much of a difference it's made shifting security all the way to the beginning and actually discussing things like security being built into the requirements, security being bedded with our BA so that definitions of done, acceptance criteria, we even write security stories for security debt and we treat them similar to how we treat our technical debt and we also have cultural debt that's paid down by developers okay. and our teams. It's a critical point for the audience here which is a security audience. Okay. How do you break that wall down initially to get the first security people to start moving into the chain? 
So what we did, okay. um, and part of our ongoing effort, is we started grabbing different people from security as we were developing our SDLC and brought them into the architecture team. They said, good. You put them on the team itself. Absolutely. So when I say put them on the team, I meant physically picking them up and placing them in a chair inside my team. I could care less what your vertical right. reporting structure is. That's just HR responsibility. We have a engineering culture that runs horizontally that says anyone at any part of the business, if a finance team member wants to come set with us to help understand cloud billing and we walk them through it, we can give them read access to the cloud and show them how to do mm. their own exports in the billing. Like we empower our customers. We don't just, oh, well, here's how you do it and I'll send you a report when you need it or automate it. No, we want to empower them to come up with new ways to understand how they work within the confines of what technology is available. Mm -hmm. So it starts with having those conversations. So we bedded them with our, our architecture team and said, hey, as we build this SDLC, you're a critical component to this, as well as other teams. It wasn't just security, but security was a big part of it. Uh, and then what things are we missing? What are we not seeing? What don't we consider as an architecture team or when we're building a business case or approving a business case? What do we do to empower you to ensure that by the time it gets to what would be a gate for you, nothing, nothing's even needed, right? So how do we take all these checkboxes and scatter them out through the pipeline? And then what do we need to have ahead of time so when it reaches that pipeline, that's not a problem. We can just keep moving forward. When you were doing that process, talk to me about something that didn't work so people mm -hmm. can see this red flag coming. So as you know, there are um, challenges around trust because DevOps yeah. and DevSecOps, really, that's where it begins. It's not about the technology. And when you talk about culture, it's not just about what do we do for people, but it's how do we interact? How do we build trust with each other? And we start with small wins. There are certain things that security is not just going to give you the keys to the kingdom day one, right? They're not going to give you access to those systems. Like if, if you're a developer, chances are you're not getting access to Archer to be able to see anything that they have in there. So we have to find ways that we work in what tool that the, the individual person is working in. So if we're trying to inject more security into the development process, we say, how can we do this in JIRA? How can we do this in Visual Studio? How can we do this in Eclipse? How can we do this in the SCM? The places that you work and already have access to. And then once you've shown that you can utilize these processes and that you follow these processes, we have a liaison that works with those teams as we onboard security into each of those teams or products to say, hey, via chat ops, if you ever have questions, here's a team group channel that you can go into and your liaison will always be there to answer anything that you need, right? Because we have to work both horizontally and vertically. These guys still have jobs, roles, and responsibilities. I can't just have an IEM guy sitting in a chat channel not doing anything so he still has to do his job but now they have a, a two-way communication so they can educate each other they can understand the pain points of each other and then they can pick up on any new ideas or challenges mm -hmm. that individually they wouldn't be able to see so if you've ever read the goal and it talks about see, like, variability and dependencies. <laughs> yeah. When they looked at those individually, they saw no problems. But when they stacked them together, right. they noticed it broke the entire process. So we approach it the same way as we break them down, down into constituent parts. But we also have to come back together and look at how the whole process operates as a value stream end to end. Yeah, you brought up two really critical points that people might want to consider here. One is when we first started the movement towards DevSecOps, towards DevOps in general, mm -hmm. 
people were thinking rip and replace. <laughs> right? You remember yes. that phase? And it was brutal. Absolutely. And so, I mean, you bring up a very good point that people that are beginning the journey need to consider is you have to put these processes into the environment that already exists. There are two fascinating things I've seen in the 10 years I've been doing DevOps and subsequent years I've been doing DevSecOps that always just blow me away. One is when transformation occurs, people think, well, we've already got challenges around our environment. Why are we having problems when we add more change into those environments, right? Uh, The second one is why do we pit different parts of the process against each other Mm -hmm. and look, you know, like we incentivize developers to induce, introduce change into the organization, right? I've got a new feature. I've got to fix this thing, right? So I'm constantly adding things that's changing, right? I'm going to interrupt here because incentivization is a whole topic in itself. Okay, that's Most developers outside the DevOps process are incentivized financially to go fast and get shit out the door. Absolutely, yeah, right. because it brings in revenue streams for That's our products. Right. So does this change that incentive stream? It does. I be- it, it has for us. Okay, good. Right? How we focus on things, right? One is kind of de-incentivizing heroes. Right? We want to kill the heroes in the organization, and we want to focus more on team-driven metrics. So uh, I know they're not going to be able to see this, but this is how serious we are about Um, teamwork. We have squad voting that happens throughout our entire organization. If you'll look here, we've identified 12 different areas that align. Let's take a step back. Squad voting. So, yes. So, squads are similar to what you would think like a scrum team. It is a a group that comes together in order to deliver a specific capability to a product within our company. It is the smallest degree. A team, a squad. It's our nomenclature for that group. Um, And what we do is every month we have these teams get together and they take a look at these 12 categories that drive our purpose. Business objectives? So, yes, but in layman's terms for them to understand how they're functioning so that we can give the business a view. So, for an example, we have support as a category, and we will rate them red or green as a team. So, for example, a green rating for support would be we always get great support and help when we ask for it, whereas a red state may be we keep getting stuck because we can't get the support that we're asking for. Is that those smiley buttons as you're going through? Security and you choose from bad to good, or meaning at the airport, they have those things. No, I would say they're as integral to our culture as planning poker is for Agile or Scrum, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it is essential that we do this every single month and that every team does it because it gives them a voice to show the business the impact of the decisions so that we're So it's part making. of the process. It's not an arbitrary thing where people say, I'm going to vote today. No, no, no. This is part of what we do to ensure that we're keeping a pulse on what's happening culturally in the business and where there may be challenges. So if we see a team or a tribe, which is a, a group of mm-hmm. squads, that align to a specific product or functionality within the business, and we see some reds that go across the board, such as learning, we start healthy dialogues as tribe leaders with those squad members Mm -hmm. to say, hey, why is this happening? Oh, well, none of us have time to learn because we're releasing a product this month. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The goal is not to turn it all green. The goal is to understand how our teams feel about their progress specifically every month 
When you say we, who's monitoring this stuff? So each of the other teams, as well as alliance leaders, which are your tech leadership within the organization, and then um, we bring this all the way up to our CTO, so he can see where the business believes that they are. So if we know transformation's trending in the right way, mm -hmm. and the and the metrics are followed up, and they're telling us that same story, we know we're in alignment. If it's not in certain areas, then we can start healthy dialogues around, hey, what are we doing? What do we need to do better? How do you suggest that we do that? How could we empower you to address this challenge that you're having? Mm -hmm. um, for people listening, that's the caterers coming in, <laughs> giving us notice that they're putting out food. So let's kind of wrap real quick. I mean, you and I could go on for hours. I'm thoroughly oh, enjoying what I want to know from a consumer's perspective okay. is how safe is my data now? How safe is your data? It's much safer than it was before. Um, nothing's perfect, right? We are in a continual state of improvement. Um, we are working exponentially harder than we ever have in the past to not only ensure that your data is safe and it's secured, but it's being properly utilized, it's being properly stored and transmitted to and from any other person that we do business with. Do you, do you feel that people are still watching to hold you accountable? Oh, absolutely they are. Yeah, we've got, we've got regulators coming in and out all the time that are making sure that we're abiding by what we yeah, say. That's, and we've got, the, that's industry watching. I mean, are consumers still watching or are they going, you know what? It's uh, nothing I can do about it. No, absolutely. I get feedback, and I've gotten a lot of feedback at this conference, you know, and it could range anything from some guy had told me, he's like, hey, man, thanks for that $125. And then somebody immediately <laughs> said, well, I ain't got mine yet, so don't be too quick, right? <laughs> to other people say, asking these questions, like, what are you doing that will directly impact me? You yes. know, and at the end of the day, without getting into too much detail or spending sure. a lot of your time, what we want to do is be able to provide more context about you with this data to enrich it to a point where now we can treat you, we can humanize this process of getting credit, of in ensuring your identity is safe, right? We want you to be an individual, not just some number, not just another line in the database. And we want to be able to transfer that context with anyone that you would want to do business with, right? So it's less about your data and it's more about how you want your data used and what types of services we can provide to you and our customers around that data. How do you guys deal with the social media ramifications of what happened you know that's it's part of it actually to be honest with you I think that being open and transparent about the challenges that we're having mm. there's some things coming I can't talk about them sure, yet sure. but there's some things coming that are going to add some additional public transparency also we're going to start showing the public that not only do we learn from these things but that we're actually building stronger relationships because of what's happened here so now it's not just that, hey a vendor is supplying us with something we are very adamant about having a strong two-way relationship and finding how we can help extend you know success within your organization or other right. businesses through partnerships like this in the public to say, hey, you know, what's going on, Mark, around how you feel about what we're doing? Where are we missing the mark? What's challenging us? And when we hear that from a lot of people, especially in conferences, right. that's huge for us. I've got so much data to go back to the board and Bryson and our technical architecture teams and our technology groups that I'm beside myself and excited of the things that I've learned, the new technologies we're going to be able to leverage, as well as the benefits that it's going to provide to our customers. 
right? Because the, the, the market drives a lot of this too. We're not just building a bunch of secret safe things internally. We're trying to leverage open source. It's one of our biggest initiatives right now is intersourcing everything in our company so any group can contribute to any other group within you know certain guidelines, but embracing that type of culture and breeding that type of employee because we want everyone to care about the purpose of what they're doing. We want them all to care about the products that we provide to consumers and customers. Now, I have to say that it's, um, to your credit, that you are out here in public now talking, which before it was a complete lockdown, completely understandable. Yes. But to see you here at the conference, to have you go out to dinner with us last night with 30 people and you telling your story there means a lot. Well, it means a lot to me that you guys trust enough that you take the time to give us the feedback because feedback is a gift. It is so valuable. It is the lifeblood of what we do. This is the DevSecOps Podcast. The DevSecOps Podcast is supported by OWASP, organizers of the Global AppSec Conference in Amsterdam on September 23rd through the 27th. And by All Day DevOps, the world's largest DevOps conference. All live, all online, all free. All Day DevOps.